worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. You're listening to Red Leg Nation Radio, the official podcast of redlegnation.com. Red Leg Nation Radio, and today we're really happy to be joined by a member of the Reds' 2014 coaching staff, bullpen coach Mac Jenkins. Mac, thanks for being here today. That's a pleasure, man. Thanks for having me on. Let's let's get some information about yourself. You, you grew up in Tampa and went to Hillsborough Community College, then University of Tampa with a degree in bachelor, a bachelor's degree in business. Correct. That's right. Did you grow up a Reds fan? You know, I grew up going to Red Games because they uh, had spring training there in Tampa. Mm-hmm. I probably grew up watching the Braves more than anything because uh, I was a kid, you know, I lived in Birmingham and Mobile. And, and they, you know, the Braves were the closest team, so, and they were on TV down there. Yeah, they were America's team. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have to ask you a Sarasota question, which I think is where you live in the off season, isn't it, Matt? Yes, it is. Okay. Did it bother you as much as it bothered me when the Reds moved out to Arizona? It was uh, it was gut wrenching, yeah. Yeah, I think I think the Reds did everything they could do to stay there. I think the the community in Sarasota was a little slow to to get on board, and by the time they did, it's tough to pass up free spring training facility, you know. Oh yeah, man. I mean, the Reds are still on the top out there in good year, and you know, like I said, coming here, trying to see. I know Mr. C did what he had to do. Yeah. But it sure was nice for us Cincinnati folks just to be able to head down 75 to, to see a little spring training or some minor league, good minor league baseball. I hear you, man. I heard that from, seems like, a thousand people over the last few years. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's go back into your career. You signed with the Reds as an undrafted free agent in 86, and you played three seasons in the minors. Um, you played in, in, in the Gulf Coast League team. Which I assume was probably in was that in good or in uh, Sarasota at that time? No, it wouldn't have been Sarasota. Where was the Gulf Coast League team at yeah. that time? Yeah, it was in Sarasota. Oh, it was. And then you were in Billings, and then you played right. in Greensboro and Cedar Rapids. Right. And I assume at that point the team uh, decided that you uh, should move on to greener pastures, or had... you know, in uh, spring '89, uh, I went to camp. But uh, I had arm problems uh-huh. throughout throughout my whole really adult life, from you know eighteen on. Oh, and, really? Uh, I just came to the point where 
I didn't think I could do it anymore. I went to spring training, and, you know, then it was Chief Bender was our farm director. Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, he said, dang, I wish you would have told me sooner because we, we, we already discussed getting you into coaching at some point. So oh, really? I took advantage of that year. I, uh, I, I had one class. I finished school. I actually got married and uh, began coaching in 1990. How hard was it to, to, to give up playing after after you'd played your whole life up to that point? You know, you little from a kid to through college and three years in the minors. I mean, was was the arm just such a such you know, was there so much pain that it was just a relief or was it really hard? Uh, it was really hard. It was a lot of a lot of thought, a lot of prayer, a lot of pondering of what to do and uh it was uh, the the arm was problematic. I think the the topping point came for me. I was at a Buccaneers game, you know, probably in December, and cheering, and with hands overhead, my shoulder went out of socket. Wow. And uh, it happened before, you know, playing golf, actually. It was just, and at that time, the, there was a treatment for it at that time, uh, but it involved putting a big staple in your arm, and you, your chances of coming back were. Probably around fifty percent or less. So, what what did uh, what did the Reds see in you as a minor league player that made them think that you'd be a good coach? That that, that was something they wanted to talk to you about. I think Larry Rothschild was uh, then the head of the minor league uh, pitching, and uh, he just said he saw how other pitchers gravitated toward me. Uh, you know, at that time we only had two coaches on staffs. And uh, actually, the first year we had a coach and a half because the pitching coach did Sarasota uh, and another team. Uh, you know, I played uh, other places, and I've, I've never had a coach who was a pitcher. They were catchers, or they were just uh, Mark Bombard, who's a long time red. Yep, I remember the name. He managed the team, so he was a pitcher, but he wasn't a, you know, we didn't have a pitching coach. He was that hitting guy. Yeah. And uh, so that's just something Larry said, hey, I noticed how, you know, pitchers gravitated towards you. Uh, you spoke some Spanish, so you're able to help with those kids. And, you know, I thought this would be a good fit for you. And apparently it has. You've been around since, like, you've been with the team since 1990. I can't imagine there's too many guys senior to you in the organization, are there? You know, I don't know. <laughs> I know. Uh, I think Mark, Mark Berry signed in 84, but... Uh, I haven't talked to Mark. I know I, that he's not on our staff next year, so yeah, there aren't many. So, so you did you did sixteen seasons as a minor league coach. Um, it's, you, you were well traveled. Uh, you were Billings and Cedar Rapid and Charleston and Chattanooga and Louisville, and then you did six seasons as a minor league pitching coordinator. Tell tell us what a minor league pitching coordinator does. Well. I'm in charge of uh, every pitcher in our organization, obviously from AAA down to the Dominican Summer League, Venezuelan Summer League. So you got about 125 pitchers at that time. You're in charge of their throwing program in season, off season. You educate your coaches to make sure they uh, follow the protocols. You work with the trainers, the rehab people. Uh, helping those guys back. You set the innings limits, the pitch counts. Uh, and when you when guys come into spring training, 
um, guys. Pitchers come in, you know, you have a, a plan for this guy. And uh, you make sure that the coaches, the managers, everyone knows that, you know, this is the plan for Travis Wood. Mm-hmm. He's, he's doing well or, or not well. He's a starting pitcher. He's going to pitch every fifth day. Uh, you know, he's a high school kid and uh, draft, and he's in Dayton, so we're really going to take care of his innings. We make starts here and there. So, you know, and then you put out five. It seems like one thing you do is you put out fires every day of the minor league season. There's always something going on, whether it's injury, an off-field problem, you know, even things that happen in the major leagues. If it's a major league injury or release or trade, you know, you're always filtering a Fisher Cup. So right. when there's one, one move at the big leagues, there's one move everywhere in the minor leagues. Yeah, it's a domino effect. Yeah. It sounds like it sounds like you, you must have had a, a ton of travel with that position. Um, yeah, you try to hit uh, hit every club uh, five days at a time, so you see all five starters, and you catch two clubs, maybe three, but you know you do get to come home for five days uh, per month, uh, sometimes more. But, yeah, you, there's a lot of travel back and forth, especially when the club moved out to Bakersfield. Yeah. And good year. You know, you have a team there. Uh, you send the spring, and then you have the rookie league team there. Yep. Let, let me ask you, Mac, when, when you're dealing with the minor league guys, and, and you were seeing the whole minor league organization, you know, when you were the coordinator, how early in a guy's career can you tell if he's got a chance to, to, to be a big league player? Or does it depend on the player? Well, you'd like to think that they all have a chance that they have a uniform. So I think it, those who have a greater chances, they just show the skills, you know, whether it's arm strength or it's command, uh, you know, savvy, aptitude, they're aggressive. So, and you, I think part of the job is you have to start prioritizing. We think these, guys, these are our top ten, you know, and here's actually one through ten. How we see it, and mm-hmm. you know, and you have to prioritize the innings based on who you think has the greatest chance to get to the major leagues. And those organizations, the best, don't miss those. They know their players better than anybody else. You know, no yeah. scouts can come in from an organization. We shouldn't make mistakes on our own players. So, very important job to to see those guys, as you said, who have the opportunity to pitch in the major leagues yeah. and target them and give them instruction and, you know, all the strength, conditioning work, everything they need so that it's up to them to go out and perform. Right. So so in 2012, you came up to the big club as assistant pitching coach. Tell us what your duties entailed in that job. Duties were a lot of video work uh, on our own guys, it, uh, especially if they had struggled you know, for an extended period of time, just kind of go back, even if you're going back. Remember one time with Lake Coast, you know, we went back two years. I went back two years and found some things that he was doing in San Diego when he was on an extremely good run and said, hey, man, this is where you are today. What, you know, how do we get from A to B? And, you know, put it in the in the pitcher's court, you know, with, with, with Brian Price there. You know, things click for him. And also uh, part of the duty is looking at the advanced uh, series we have coming up, whoever you're playing, and uh, making a report on each hitter, actually writing a report out 
that uh, you give to the pitching coach, give it to the manager, all the catchers on the club, uh, and just highlighting that player's strengths and weaknesses. And it includes the video, and it includes a lot of statistical data as well. That uh, you know, we have a great department that has helped me out in compiling a report for uh, each uh, series that we get ready to play. And, you know, I've got the daily duties. You still go out there and you, you still throw back in practice and you still uh, watch that throw in the bullpen and uh, monitor the throwing programs, monitor anybody who maybe is on a DL but out there throwing, you know, Brian may, may not have time for that or whomever the fishing coach is. Mm-hmm. Take some of those off duties. But a lot, of, a lot of inside stuff compared to what I've been accustomed to, but the last two years it was, it was, uh, it was nice. You talk about video work, and, and, and on the on the on the hitting side, you, we read a lot so much about how Joey Votto spent so much time with video and, and, and that kind of thing. Do you have some pitchers that, that do more work with video than others? I mean, or do some of them, you know, kind of go by feel more than looking at what they've done in the past, or or is it you know does it kind of even out, or, or how does that work with with different guys? Uh, the guy that we have, there's not. I'm saying there's not any one guy who likes to look at a ton of video. Yeah. I think they're, they're field guys. And I think that's what pitching is, having a good feel. I think what a lot of guys will do, uh, especially our starters, you know, they may have, uh, like Bronson or Royal, for example, will come in and review all his at bats against, uh, you know, Matt Holiday over the last year and a half or, you know, say, you know, this is the way the guys can get me this way, you know. And they may, may see a tendency of, you know, starting out the same way every time or uh, so they can avoid patterns. Right. But a lot of the pitchers, man, I think they just trust the coaches and, uh, you know, steal. And I think most guys, with my experience the last few years, is, you know, if they give up a big hit, at some point, either after the game or the next day, they're going to come in and say, you know, damn, I thought that was a good pitch. And, you know, I see it here right down the middle. You know? Yeah. So I think it, like, Gives a resolution. Okay, this is over. Officially over now. I saw it again. Move on and give it out tonight. Yeah, won't throw it there again. <laughs> right, right. Um, and now in 2014, you're changing jobs again, and you're going to be the, the bullpen coach this year. What will that job entail? Uh, well, I'll, I'll move from uh, inside, uh, obviously, to the bullpen. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, I spoke with our manager today, and. Uh, a brief job description, but Jeff Pico was going to follow up with a phone call actually this evening uh, so we could cover uh, uh, more duties. Mm-hmm. But I know that I will, I will continue to do the series preparation for the advanced, how we call it advanced scouting. So I'll continue to do that advanced scouting. Obviously, be stationed in the bullpen and, uh, you know, uh, you know, Jeff's a fishing coach, and the guys go to him. They come to me. Jeff and I will communicate uh, with uh, what each pitcher needs, especially the bullpen guys. And I think it's going to be an advantage for us having a, a pitcher, a fishing coach, former fishing coach, in the bullpen with the uh, with the relievers we have. And mm-hmm. those guys are more outstanding, but there's always room for improvement. I was going to get to Jeff Pico a little later. Do you know him very well? I was able to meet him. Uh, during the Reds Fest, okay, and we uh, we were all there. All the new coaches were there okay. two days prior to Reds Fest, so we, we could 
have some meetings, get to know one another, because there's guys on the staff you don't know. I don't, I don't know any of that new guys coming into that meeting. Okay. Um, you, you've been a big part of a coaching staff with a very effective pitching staff the last couple of years. And, and, and the, the numbers from season to season that were remarkably similar in ERA and, and number of runs you gave up and, and number of hits and walks. And it was pretty amazing. And you did all this last year, missing your number one starter for most of the season. What do you attribute the amazing success of this staff? Uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, we missed Cleto last year. We missed Marshall. We missed Brosnan. And what the guys did was amazing. And, you know, they're just a talented group. And uh, I know the bullpen, those uh, main seven guys, and they welcomed Manny Carr last year. Uh, and Hoover was a big part. And these guys are just really a close-knit unit. And I really do, man. I mean, the starting pitching. Uh, and Bronson Royal was, you know, he was here long before I was, and he really was a quiet leader on that club, uh, you know, with the other starters, you know. Here's a guy who hasn't missed a start in ever. You know, he's telling these guys, man, you got to do what you got to do. Stay, You know, you got to stay out there. And uh, so I think guys like Bronson led this happen. I mean, they're talented, and I really do think it's feed off one another, and I, uh, just the way these guys prepared, you know, starting in spring training, I thought Brian Price was excellent. Uh, he had a very uh, high-level expectation, and I, you know, I held these guys accountable. There was no one pitcher above the, the rest of the staff, and uh, you know, these guys worked hard. Especially they, these guys prepared. I mean, they they paid attention to the notes. Uh, you know, Hannigan and Les Rocco were both. Uh, we're good back there behind the plate working these guys the year before we had Navarro, and the catchers also could play a part in that. Oh yeah, and I want to talk about that in a, in a few minutes. And can you can you talk a little bit about how pitchers on the red staff have to be handled differently? I mean, you know, I'm, I'm sure that Homer Bailey gets handled differently than Johnny Cueto or than Bronson Arroyo, you know, because they're, they're just the difference in personalities. Um, is that something that you have to learn as you get to learn the staff or, or, or is that, you know, that kind of thing? I think it's real. I, I think it's very important that the catcher and even the fishing coach that, you know, you have to, you always want the most out of that pitcher who's on the mound that night. And you have to, you know, be like a chameleon, which guy needs to be pushed, which guy needs to, you know, have his shoulders rubbed. And there's guys who you can, you know, chew them out and they get better. And there's guys that you raise your voice to and they get worse. Um, so I think it's real important. And as you mentioned, there's different styles of pitchers. And that just somehow you just have to find a way for your catcher, your coach, pitcher to communicate with one another. Because you're not going to have, you can have the same game plan. You just don't, the pitchers don't have the same stuff every night. They'll tell you, they go out there with the same you know, if they have a four-pitch combination, they have those four pitches, but they don't work the same very good thing. They just don't do it. And, you know, we have to have someone who, who, who can see that and help them adjust so they can survive the game and give the team a chance to win. But something that Mesoraco improved on last year, you know, he worked great with Latos. Latos had a nice season. He worked great with Leak. Leak said a high in victory. So uh, it, was impo- it was important for Devin to, to take some time on last year and, step up a little bit with his game calling and his uh, handling of the pitchers and their personalities. 
the two guys that, that jump out to me over the last couple of years that, that you and Brian Price seem to just be able to, I, I don't like using the term pull off the scrap heap, but but was Alfredo Simon in 2012 and last year Monty, Manny Parra. What did you and Brian see in these guys or be able to, were able to bring out from them that other coaches didn't seem to be able to do that in their careers? Can you repeat the two, two the last one and two pitchers? The, the first one was Alfredo Simon two years ago, and last year was Manny Parra. And you guys seem to be able to see something in them and bring it out that, that hadn't been brought out in their careers in the past. And, and what did you guys see? Well, you know, well, one, both both men are talented. You know, they both have above average velocity. And I think with Manny, uh, he's the most recent. You know, we just, we saw, we've seen him in the, when he's with the Milwaukee. And, you know, when he came into camp, we saw the good arm. And we saw just really inconsistent breaking stuff. And if you're a left-handed reliever, I mean, your number one pitch really is your breaking ball. Uh, so... Just through, you know, Brian kind of gave me a project, and I went and I researched the last two seasons, you know, how he had used his curveball. And, uh, you know, just came back, basically said, hey, man, this fish has not been affected at all for us. You know, he doesn't get any output. So, you know, we just said, hey, let's ask him tomorrow if he's ever thrown a slider. And he said, I've never tried one. And he wanted to work on it that day. And that kid is just... Uh, you know, you know, a coach teaching the slider and a player running with it, you know, working on it every day, not giving up on it. And that made the difference for him. He became a different pitcher because of the command and the sharpness of his breaking pitch now to go along with the velocity of the fastball. And he was very effective. I don't know how we would have got to where we did uh, without him performing so well in the absence of Marshall. Yeah, and I mean, Alfredo was Alfredo was just uh, he came over and really knew absolutely nothing about him. You know, same thing, kind of researched him on video and, you know, talking to him about something just really mechanical about trying to slow down a really fast lead arm. Just, let's just slow this down. And that's kind of his personality. I, I think someone, or somewhere down the line, someone tried to force feed him into being this big aggressive to fit his body size. And he's just a, you know, he's big, but he's just an easygoing guy. And now I think, we got him at tempo to where he really can put the ball where he wanted and it's come in there at 95 with some movement. And I think that was the difference for, for uh, Alfredo the last two seasons. Well, you guys sure, I mean, you sure, you know, says, maybe, well, you made these guys a lot of money. Uh, or actually, they you, you helped them make a lot of money. Well, that's good. That's, uh, that's enjoyment of the job. There you go. Um We've had, we did have some you know some injury problems on the staff this year you know the Cueto the ongoing lat issue and Singrani in his back and now you know Matt had Latos had a bone chip in his elbow. How often do guys do you think guys try to pitch through problems you know or how long does can it take a guy or, or do some guys never learn what the difference is between playing sore and being hurt? You know, how, how do you, how do you, con, you know, teach guys that when, when it's right to come to you and say, you know, I really don't, you know, there's something wrong or, you know, or I'm just normal pitching soreness? Well, I, I think that what happened to Singrani last year when he came out of the game was his first inning, second inning, somewhere in there. And it also happened to Quetto where Singrani came in as a reliever. Is that you put the team at such a high risk when you go out there, 
knowing you can't perform. And, you know, so if you're, like you said, if you're hurting, injured to the point where you know, you know that I'm not going to make it. I mean, not only do you kill the bullpen for that day, you kill it for the next few days. You know, you use up everyone right. trying to cover the innings. And, you know, there are some guys who go out there who can go out there hurting. And we had guys who had the last two seasons. But like you said, I mean, as, as many innings as some of these men have logged, you know, and Tony Sangrani wouldn't be one of them. You're talking about, you know, uh, Homer Bailey, who's been on the disabled list, and, and Lakos. Uh, these guys have logged innings. I think they, they definitely know their bodies, and they communicate that, hey, I'm not going to throw on the side today. I'm hurting, you know, but I know I'll be fine with the game. I'll be getting some treatments. I'll be long. So I'll talk instead of throwing in the bullpen today. And, you know, the coaching staff works with the training staff, works with the player. And, you know, it just takes a village to keep these guys out there. You know, what the staff did in 2012 was amazing. Yeah. No one missing a start. No one missing a start. And no one missing a start on the darn division staff, you know. Right. Team that ended up winning 97 games. Yeah, and you used five oh. starters all year, and and one of them threw once, or or six right. starters, you know. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the catchers a little bit. You know, being a pitching coach, you deal with them guys a lot. And, and the Reds just traded one of Red Leg Nation's favorites, and Ryan Hannigan. And tell us about Ryan Hannigan from your standpoint. Um, he was. A catcher who had a lot of confidence in himself, and I think that carried over to the pitching staff. That, hey, man, I see this in the hitter. I know you can make this pitch. And, uh, you know. And, plus, I mean, he has skills. He's a real good receiver. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he threw very well. His numbers show he's one of the top one or two guys in the league uh, throwing out uh, base dealers. And, you know, I knew Ryan when he was in the minor leagues, you know, as a fishing coordinator. Right. Always a kind of a hard-nosed guy. And, uh, you know, we're going to miss him, but it's good for him. He goes to Panthers. Oh, yeah. Nice deal over there. And, uh, time for someone else to step up over here. But, yep. you know, he'll be missed. He'll be missed. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm a big fan of his because he, for, for one of the reasons was he was an undrafted free agent that, that fought his way all the way up to the minors. And as, as I've been doing these interviews and we've been running this blog, I've gotten to know some of the minor league guys, and I come to understand a little bit how, how hard that is, especially for a guy that, that, that wasn't drafted. Um, you know, and, and, you know, you were an undrafted guy, so, I mean, you understand what I'm talking about. It just seems like the, these guys, they can't afford to have a bad year when you're in that position, you know? No, you're right, man. I mean, this thing, at the end of the year, we had Corky Miller. He was also undrafted. Yeah. That's true. I forgot about Corky. But but going on a little bit, this trade, you know, means that we're going to hand the, the, the staff over to Devin Mazzarocco, and Devin's a great guy. He's a big friend of the Red Leg Nation. He usually does an interview with us in the offseason. And he's really improved, I think, the last couple of years. But what do you what do you think his ceiling is? Um, that's a very good question. Uh, he has talent and I think it's untapped at this point. Uh, what did he have? Two plus seasons in a, in a major league. Yeah, two and a I taste, really, man. I, I really do think it's untapped. This kid has offensively, he has power. He has power to right field. You know, he has full side power. Uh, and he hasn't shown that consistently. 
So I, I think that's in his bat. And he has leadership qualities. This is a really tough guy, a strong guy, and I think now maybe we'll see that leadership quality and that tough guy part of him come out. This is a real strong guy, too. So he's not only tough, he backs it up. And I think all those things will will come out. And for our sake, Bill, I hope they come out really quick. <laughs> do, do you think, I mean, do you see that him in possibly being a four or five hitter? I see him probably sitting in that five to six range. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, they can take special catchers that hit in that four spot in there, but you know they're there. Posey, Posey's in there, the three, four for the Giants. Yeah, they're out there. Do, do, where, where do you see? I mean, I, I hate to. I don't even. I don't even know how to point this. How much better do you think he'll get defensively playing every day? I think he's gonna. I think we're gonna see a, a normal percentile improvement. And I also think that we've taken Mike Stefanski from bullpen catcher and named him catching coach. Oh, okay. And I think I think that is going to really pay dividends. So not only do you have more playing time for Devin, and he's got more experience, he's going to have someone to really, you know, to stay on him and to teach him yep. uh, throughout the season. Throughout the season, and those two have a real good relationship. You spent you know six of the past eight years working with the Reds minor league pitchers. Can I run a couple, a few names past you and ask you you know what you can tell us about these guys? Most definitely, Carlos Contreras. Carlos Contreras is uh, he's a Dominican right-handed pitcher, about six foot tall. Uh, you know, had a forty man last year, had a pretty good season this year. Bakersfield and some double A Pensacola. Uh, as a bullpen guy, you know, he, he was a starter originally, and he had some elbow problems. And what we did, he was one of our first guys that our training staff cho- chose to treat him with uh, PRP injections. And it helped him uh, heal and didn't have to have surgery. We brought him back, and we made him a reliever just to try to gradually get him back in the swing of things, you know. And we see velocity, plus velocity from Carlos, you know, up to 95, 96, with a really snap dragon curveball. Uh, nice change up, you know. He came to camp last year, and Brian and I both uh, spoke to the minor league department about, hey, this guy, you know, should start. He really needs to develop his other pitches. Uh, a lot of guys have good pitches. They're just not consistent. They don't do any, any good. Mm-hmm. They're not consistent. So I think probably down the road, Carlos is a bullpen guy. But uh, it, the, the level he'll pitch at will probably will depend on how he commands his secondary pitches. He has the velocity. It's just we'll see how much his curveball and his changeup uh, improve and what, what is the command of those pitches. Because as we've seen, man, some guys throw hard and all they're good at is backing up bases. Yeah. So, <laughs> so um, we, don't want that. we don't want that. You know, he's a... Uh, this guy's young, and he missed some development time. I mentioned with the elbow injury, but uh, I like his aggressiveness, his attitude, his attitude. Nice young man, good, good guy to have in the system, man. There's a guy that they put on the 40 man roster that's that's way down in the minors. It's this Ishmael. I think it's Ismail Goyan. Yeah, Ismael Ismael Guillon. Guillon. 
you know, I mean, he's he's pitching low A and he's on the forty man, so they see something in this guy, and I think it probably has something to do with nine point nine strikeouts per nine innings. Yeah, you know, he's a his case is a little unusual. Uh, the red sign, this young man, is not you under a contract. Uh, he comes over to take his physical from Venezuela. When he gets here, he has he's discovered he needs Tommy John surgery. So the Reds void the contract and re-sign him, you know, that day. So he signed for less money, but what happens, it makes him draft eligible to all the other teams every year. Oh. So that is one of the reasons he's put him there early, okay. even though his development hadn't gone past the low A level, as you said. Uh, but he's left-handed. He's a good athlete. A lot of teams are going to sign him out of Venezuela as an outfielder. Uh, but he's, you know, he's got, you see the strikeouts. Yeah. Deceptive. And his velocity is average, and he can get, so a tick above average. He's got a, a very good changeup, which, as we know, left handers with good changeups, and they get guys out. They get people out. Yeah, I, 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 one of the things I do on Red Leg Nation is I'm the, one of the guys that writes our Down on the Farm report every day, and, and watching his, his numbers, when he gets the games that he gets the ball over the plate, he is very effective. You're right, and I mean the downside is, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to lie to our fans out there. Hey, man, this guy's got to stop walking people. Yeah. You know, he lets the Midwest League strikeouts. Hey, let him in walks. Yeah. But. uh you know, that's what we paid the coaches for. Someone's going to help him conquer that demon. And, you know, if so, this guy can pitch in the major league to help her win. Tell us about Nick Cristiani. Oh, one of my favorites. Uh, kid from Vanderbilt. Uh, he's a hard thrower, and he's a sinker ball pitcher. Uh, and he's, this year, most guys, when they get to his age, I think he's 26. You know, if they had made it to the big leagues, you wonder if they're going to make it at all. And this year, he was able to make some adjustments. Uh, Ted Power helped the kid out, and he really started getting the ball from, you know, knees to toes, and that's what the ballers get ground balls. And from mid-May, so he was called up, that's what Nick was able to do. He was able to just begin to adjust his delivery, and keep the ball down at the at the bottom and under with the movement he has, and uh, you know I think the guy has a chance to be an effective major league middle reliever. There's a, there's a guy that's not on the forty that I find his numbers intriguing, and that, and that's Tim. Is it Crabby or Crab? Yeah, Tim Crab. Yeah, you know I'm not seeing in the last two years. Uh, you know, but I follow all the statistics, and especially since I know all of you. These kids. Right. Uh, Tim has a good arm, man, and he gets a lot of strikeouts. Uh, his velocity is above average. He's a nice, tall, thin, big pitcher's body, a uh, nice downhill angle. Uh, he's just got to improve his control. And then, you know, he can be one of these guys that, you know, figure things out at age 25, 26. He, you know, he won't be the first or the last if the development process just takes a little bit longer. But, like he said, his numbers are intriguing, and uh, I thought maybe he would be drafted by one of the other teams in the Rule 5 portion, but he wasn't. Yeah. Uh, but I like his arm. I like his makeup. Uh, he's got good breaking stuff. So it just got to, you know, continue to... You know, a pitcher's career is going to be defined by how he commands the baseball. 
And just that would seem to apply for Tim. If he learns the command of baseball, then his career will leave that minor league and come to that major league plateau. The last guy I want to ask you about is a guy that was that was really highly rated on most of the lists last year going into the season and just had just a, a really disappointing 2013, and that's Daniel Corsina. Yeah, you're right. He started in the spring training of 2013. He came in, and he did not throw the ball the way he's capable of. I've seen the kids since he was pitching the Dominican Summer League and saw him go through our minor league system. And, you know, his season... For whatever reason, spiraled out of control downward. Uh, you know, I, they had sent me videos to help look at the guy to see if Daniel's doing something different now than he did a few years ago uh, when he was throwing so well. And it was it was so discouraging. Not only were his numbers poor, but he saw his his velocity fall off some, uh, and he always had a sharp breaking pitch, and it fell off some. And all I all I can say is, hey man, we went through this with Homer Bailey, uh, 2007 or eight. You know his velocity fell, and everybody wanted that. Some some people wanted to kick him to the curb, and hey, look where he's at now. Yeah, he's he's done okay. Some of these young guys just have years that you know maybe their bodies are catching up. You know I know Travis Wood had a year. Uh, he signed, and everything went pretty well for him, and he got the double-A his first time there, and he was getting hit around, and, you know, people wanted to know where his velocity was. And, you know, it took a ninth off-season, recovery time, and he came back and made the all-star team this year. This will make the leagues for us. We were able to trade him, and I go to the Cubs. So I expect that to be the case for Daniel, that he had a one-year slump, and we'll see the stuff, and we'll see – uh, the results from him in 2014. Well, I hope so. We'd sure like to see him have a big year, you know, give us some, some more depth down there in Louisville. We need him, man. We need the depth. We need these guys to step up. Absolutely. Uh, let's talk a little more about the big club now uh, and, and kind of a, a more of a general. I was talking to one of the other Red Leg Nation editors, and, and we were wondering if you had any insight onto whether – Pitching coaches make, and I'm not talking about Brian Price, we're not talking about your boss, but gener- generally, what pitching coaches make or don't make uh, good managers, and why we don't see more major league managers that are pitching coaches? Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know why we don't see more. Uh, I think baseball is turning away from the old old ways of doing things. You see guys like Brad Osmus and you yeah. see and you see uh, I'm, I'm missing someone else. Uh, Robin Ventura, you know, they don't go spend 10 years in the minor leagues riding buses before they're deemed, you know, ready to manage in the major leagues. Right. But I think we see things trending that way. And I think we see things trending better way. It's just like some people, you know, just refuse to accept statistical analysis. It's that way, the game is trending that way, and it's effective. It works. You know, it's not, doesn't, doesn't stand by itself, but those people who want to ignore that, and they're going, they're falling behind, in my opinion. And the same thing, I think we see things changing with just the general thought of, hey man, this Matini can really, this guy, he knows pitching, and to me, that, that, that good managers and the managers that win year in, year out, 
have guys, you know, they're positive, they communicate, but man, they handle the bullpen because you have to have healthy relievers in September, guys that are rested enough to get people out, to get you through the playoffs, and then pitch effectively in the playoffs. Let's talk about Brian Price a little bit. What specific okay. qualities does Brian have that are going to that are going to benefit him as a manager? I think his ability to relate to every personality on the team doesn't matter what your socioeconomic background is, uh, what country you're from, what language you speak. Uh, he lets you know what's expected. Nothing slides. He's very detail-oriented, and he holds you accountable, you know. If, if there's an expectation of hustling down the line to, or to break up a double play and you don't do this, you know, he's going to hold you accountable. And I think those managers who lay down the law and then follow through, they, have the, they gain the respect of the other players on the club which is, in my opinion, the most important thing, that you have their respect. And yeah, we, we heard the talk about accountability from, I know, I, I remember Homer talking about it, and I think there were at least a couple other pitchers talking about that, about Brian, that, that you know, being held accountable by not only him, but by each other, too. And I think, you know, what him he do he does builds on that as a staff, I would think, and hopefully it'll build on that as a, as a whole team. What do you think will be the hardest part of managing for Brian Price? Uh, probably he won't get to come in and see me during the game. <laughs> and, and have one of his gluten-free bars. <laughs> All righty. You, you've worked with Brian for the last two years, and you're one of only two of the you know the holdovers from, from last year's staff. To a fan... How will a Brian Price team differ from the team they've seen on the field the last couple of years? Well, oh, that's, that's a difficult question to answer. Especially considering I we think, don't know what to make you know what? I, I would I would really say, just based on knowing Brian and knowing the way his pitchers work, he's going to see a club that grinds it out 27 out every night. He's going to see a club that plays with energy. And... I think you should see a club that makes adjustments. As a whole, we make adjustments. We don't make the same house the same way every time in a series. They don't, the team isn't pitching it down and away every at bat, and we're not making an adjustment. Same way if somebody's hitting us, hitting our pitchers, and we're pitching them up and in. We're not going to stay there. We're going to make the adjustment. We're going to survive. You lose the first game of the series, well, the next two games, we're going to win that series because we're able to adjust and we're expected to adjust and we educate guys how to adjust. Do you think, being the fact that Brian has taken over a team that's been successful the last couple of years, is there more pressure on him than most first-year managers? I think so, yes. Yeah. Is that fair? What's that? Is that fair? Is that fair to Brian? Uh I don't know if it's fair, man, but I think everybody who coaches in this game, we don't, we don't, we don't count on fair. Yeah, life isn't um, always fair. <laughs> yeah, we we don't we don't rely on that. We don't count on that, and you know, hey, that's not fair. Thing. I think we just go past that. We're bigger than that. 
How important do you think clubhouse chemistry is? I think it's very important. Uh, uh, some of the, when teams have, the worst thing I've seen on teams, whether it's major or minor league, is when you have clicks. And when you have guys who have, uh, take advantage of the manager not following through. It's just like, to me, it's almost like parenting. If I tell my son, hey, if you're late today, taking away your, well, now you don't take away the bicycle. If you're late again, I'm taking away your iPhone. If he's late and I don't take it away, he thinks, I, you know, whatever, my dad is whatever. No, when he comes home late, one minute late, that iPhone is mine. And he gets to know that I mean business. And this gives everyone a sense of direction, a focus, I believe. Okay. It's pretty apparent that the Reds are not going to be able to re-sign Chu. There's a possibility of Arroyo being gone, even though there's rumors of them offering him a deal, and, and I'm not getting into any of that. And This team almost looks like a bit like a team in transition. Do you think it's fair to say that the 25-man roster will be substantially different on, on opening day than it was last year at the, at the end of the season? Um. Well, I guess it would just depend on what a person's definition of substantial. <laughs> That's true, I guess. <laughs> you know, uh, obviously you're not going to have the open opening day at Hannigan. Right. And like, as you mentioned, we probably won't have shoes. So already 25% of your opening roster is gone. Yeah. That, that's substantial. I mean, there's two guys, but it's 25%. So that's substantial. And, you know, it would appear as, you know, we have Shoemaker is, uh, you know, the bench could be different. There's yeah. no... Uh, They're not bringing back Paul. Yeah, Paul was, was non-centered, I believe. Yes. Uh, that doesn't mean he can't come back. Right, 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 right. Um, but I would think at this point we we uh, we need to get a right-handed hitting infielder, backup infielder, since, you know, Hanahan and Shoemaker are both left-handed hitters. Right, and I don't think, I don't think either one of them play shortstop. Uh, not to the best of my knowledge either. So. Okay, well, that's all the. I got one last question, and I always try to end on something that kind of a little silly or funny. And and as a guy that's been around this game for a long time, can you tell us the funniest or silliest conversation or situation you've ever had happen when you went out to the mound during a ball game? It always makes me wow. think of Bull Durham. You know, candlesticks make yeah. a nice gift. You know. <laughs> yeah. On public radio, that's tough, man, because some <laughs> of those stories get pretty raunchy out there. Well, I can tell you I was the funniest thing. I was, I, I'll take this, I was pitching. Okay. okay. And the pitching coach comes out for me, and there's bases loaded, and there's nobody out. And he says, hey, you're only one pitch away to get out of this thing. Now go get him. As he goes off the mound, he saunters off there, I go, what the hell is he talking about? One pitch away. Bases are loaded, no outs. So, I throw the next pitch, fly ball to medium depth center field. Center fielder gets it, he throws it to home, he throws the guy out at home. The manager yells for the guy, tagged up and went from second to third, he left early. We throw the ball to second base, the young fire calls him out, triple play. There was your one pitch. As I come off the mound, I get three out to one pitch, the guy's like, see, I told you. 
There you go. That's what you need to do. Well, Mac, we thank you very much for your time today. I hope we can do it again sometime. And if we don't talk to you before spring training, good luck with the with the ball club this year. And, and let's win some ball games and talk again later in the season. That sounds good. We'll talk about winning. There you go. Thanks very much for your time. All right, man. You guys take care.